This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, to love him, and to better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the ultimate mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. Uh, we were talking about the battle of Uhud in the third year of the Prophet wasallam's residence in the city of Medina. Where we left off last time was that we talked about the battle actually starting and uh, how fierce uh, the battle exactly was. And we concluded last time by talking about the very um, fascinating, remarkable, and also very um, emotional story of the death, the, the shahada, the martyrdom of Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the beloved uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And we talked about what, not only, when you talk about the story of Hamza, you also end up talking about the story of Wahshi, the man who was hired to kill uh, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu And we talked about Wahshi's conversion to Islam, and eventually, even though of course he is forgiven the moment that he accepts Islam, but we also talked about Wahshi's uh, redemption, kind of how he redeemed himself. This week we're going to continue talking about the battle and some of the events that transpired in the battle. One of the other things that's mentioned in the battle that's very notable is that Musab bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was one of the most notable companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, a really remarkable individual that warrants uh, a more in-depth study from Muslims. He was known, we've, uh, I can't recall precisely if we talked about him, in some of the biographies of the early, early Meccan Muslims and their sufferings and their hardship and their difficulties, sacrifices. But very briefly, Musab Abin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu was someone who was kind of known as you can almost say the prince of Makkah. He grew up in the lap of luxury. Every single luxury was available to him. He was somebody who was really admired not only for his um, you know, his, his handsomeness, uh, his sense of style, his popularity, his fame. Um, he was basically the center. Uh, he was the center of attention in Makkah. And he was admired uh, and looked up to by many people in Makkah. And Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he came into contact with the Prophet and the message of the Prophet particularly the Qur'an, he was so deeply affected by it that he accepted Islam immediately. And he dedicated his life from that point on to being uh, not only just a student of the Messenger but a representative, a deputy of the Prophet in terms of propagating the message of Islam. He suffered torture at the hands of his own family. His own family tortured him to leave Islam. Eventually, the Prophet ﷺ sent him to Abyssinia, to Habasha. He returned back to Mecca. And the Prophet ﷺ then, he was the first one who the Prophet ﷺ sent to Medina um, to basically preach and teach the religion of Islam there in the city of Yathrib before the Prophet ﷺ migrated there. It is said he was responsible single-handedly for converting hundreds of families to Islam. Where the number of Muslims in Medina went from 12 to the hundreds. And Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu was responsible for that. He was the means of that. And so the Prophet had a lot of love uh, and attachment to Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It's actually mentioned sometimes that the Prophet would be sitting there and Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu would walk by in front of the Prophet This is after Hijrah in Medina. 
And he would be wearing a single garment. He'd be wearing a singular garment, like basically think of almost like a short thobe, that would come like right below his knees. And it had patches on it. And it looked like it was very, very worn out. Not dirty, not filthy, but just worn out. And Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala was from the Ashabu Sufa. He used to sleep in the masjid. He was homeless. And when the Prophet would seem like this, he would become emotional, very emotional, overwhelmed. Tears would well up in his eyes, and tears would start streaming down his face. And the Sahaba, and nobody knew why. So imagine you're sitting there with the Messenger of Allah and you're talking about something, and all of a sudden he just stops, becomes very emotional, and starts to cry. And the Sahaba wouldn't understand, they would almost get worried and nervous. Ya Rasulullah, did we do anything to disturb you, to uh, upset you? And the Prophet ﷺ would say, no, I just saw Musab walking by. And you don't know the Musab that I knew. Where he was the envy of every single person in Mecca. He wore the most luxurious clothes, applied the most expensive perfumes, and lived a life of luxury. And now I look at him. And what makes me cry, what makes me emotional, is that he gave all this up. He gave all of it up for nothing other than La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. That's it. Such devotion, such dedication, such sacrifice. Like it touches me. That was Musa bin Umair. He up till that point, whatever Qur'an had been revealed up to that point, he was amongst the people who had memorized every single verse that had been revealed up to that particular point. Every ayah that had come down, he had memorized it. So from that angle, he is counted amongst the huffaz of the Qur'an. And so the Prophet ﷺ gave him the flag on the day of Uhud. <clears throat> Originally, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu had picked up the flag. And Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of the most virtuous of the companions. But the Prophet ﷺ took the flag from Ali bin Abi Talib and gave it to Musab bin Umair. And he says, today we will honor Musab. Today we will honor Musab. And so Musab bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu went into the battlefield and he was fighting. And it's actually then mentioned that some narrations mentioned that it was Ubay bin Khalaf, and some narrations mentioned, and that's the stronger version, they mentioned that it was Ibn Qami'a al Laythi. Ibn Qami'a al Laythi, who was amongst the Quraysh, the Mushrikun, the, the Kuffar. He came and he killed Musa bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he spread the rumor once he struck, once he killed Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu, martyred him. He then went back to Quraysh and he said, Qataltu Muhammadan. I have killed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this started to spread a lot of, you know, confusion uh, amongst the Muslims and amongst others within the battlefield. So, at this particular time, the Prophet of Allah remember if you recall, we talked about in the previous session, he had appointed 50 archers under the leadership of Abdullah bin Jahash on a small hill to basically watch the back of the Muslims and make sure that somebody was not able to come and attack them from behind. At this point in time, the narrations they basically mention that... The Prophet of Allah wasallam. The, the fighting continued. Another very notable marcher on this day was by the name of Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu was another one of the notable companions who fell on this day. He was actually married to a woman by the name of Hamna bint Abd, uh, Abdullah ibn uh, Ubay bin Sulul. He was married to the daughter of the leader of the Munafiqun. And that's a very interesting thing is that the leader of the Munafiqun, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, because his motives and his agenda was so uh, corrupted, that he just purely wanted power and influence and leadership, and didn't like sharing 
influence and power with the Prophet ﷺ, even though that wasn't the objective of the Prophet ﷺ, but obviously everyone's following the Messenger. And he didn't like that fact, he wanted to be the, you know, the focal point. And so he opposed the Prophet ﷺ and was the leaders, leader of the hypocrites, the munafiqun. His son, his son was a proper Muslim, was a true believer, and opposed his father's activities. His daughter, Hamna radiallahu ta'ala anha, was also a proper Muslim, and also opposed her father's agenda. So it's quite fascinating that his children were true believers and quite opposed to their father. So she had just been married to Hanzala radiallahu anhu. Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu was an Ansari, he was a Muslim of Medina. So the narration says that they had just been married, and they had basically just moved in the day before after the day before Uhud took place. And so Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu fought in the battlefield, and the narration mentions that he was killed by Abu Amir. Abu Amir is a very interesting, fascinating individual. He was actually he was actually a Christian man, um, an Arab man from Medina who had converted to Christianity. And he was known by his people as Ar-Rahib. Ar-Rahib. And so they used to have a lot of respect for him because he was very devout from that perspective. But when the Prophet ﷺ came, he opposed the Prophet ﷺ. He opposed him. And the Prophet ﷺ titled him, used to call him Al-Fasiq. Not Ar-Rahib, Al-Fasiq. Because he used to curse the Prophet ﷺ. Al-Fasiq basically means evil man. Because he used to curse the Prophet ﷺ. And cause a lot of trouble. Eventually he fled Medina and went to Mecca. And took refuge with the mushrikun of Mecca. He came to fight in the battle of Uhud. Now when he came to fight, he came face to face with Hanzala radiallahu anhu in the battlefield. And he ended up killing Hanzala radiallahu anhu. Some narrations say that... Um, he uh, initially fought Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu, um, and the one who actually killed him was Shaddad ibn al-Aws. Shaddad ibn al-Aws, another one of the mushrikun, is the one who actually killed Hanzala radiallahu anhu. Either way, Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu was killed on the day of Uhud. When the Prophet wasallam looked at his body, he kind of paused for a second. And he looked at him and he said, "Inna sahibakum la tughsiluhu al malaikatu." Inna sahibakum la tughsiluhu al malaikatu. He says that your friend Hanzala, whose body is lying there in the battlefield, angels are washing his body. I can see angels washing his body. Fasalu ahlahu ma shaknahu. He said, "Go and ask his family members why that is. Is there a story?" And they were able to actually find out that Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu had just, you know, the day before he was married, and he had been with his wife, and he needed to take a bath of purification after intimacy. And he did not get the opportunity to do so because the announcement was called, Uhud has started. So Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu jumped out of his seat, ran basically into the battlefield and fought until he fell in the battlefield. Now the rules of the shuhada are that you do not wash the body of a martyr. You do not wash the body of a martyr, but you bury them as they are. And the reason for that is that it's a way to honor them, because when they will, when they will arise on the Day of Judgment, the wounds that they received in the battlefield for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will still be fresh, dripping with blood. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask them to honor them, what did you do? What do you have to offer? Then they will point to their wounds and they will say, Ya, Ras- uh, they will say, ya Allah, Ya Rabb, Oh Allah, this is what we have to offer. This is what we sacrificed. And they'll be honored this way. It'll be like a badge of honor to have those wounds on the Day of Judgment. And so, shuhada, martyrs in the battlefield, are buried as they are. They are not washed. Except, the only exception to that is, if they already required a bath of purification, then you have to purify them. Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu, because he needed a bath of purification, but nobody was aware of that fact, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent angels into the battlefield to wash his body. 
And only when the Prophet ﷺ inquired, was he able to find out this information. So these were some of the notable individuals who fell on that, that day in some of their stories. Nevertheless, what happened at this time was, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted victory to the believers. And the Muslim army started to push through, and started to overwhelm the, mush, the army of the Quraysh. 700 were defeating 3,000. Because you had people like Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, we talked about this, even before he was taken down by Wahshi in the battlefield, Wahshi says, I personally saw him take down over 30 people single-handedly. So the 700 were overwhelming the 3,000. Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Zubayr ibn al-Awam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the cousin of the Prophet he says that, وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُنِي أَنْظُرُ إِلَىٰ خَدْمِي هِنْدَ بْنِي هِنْدْ بِنْتُ عُتْبَى وَصَوَاحِبِهَا مُشَمِّرَاتٍ هَوَارِبْ مَا دُونَ أَخْذِهِنَّ قَلِيلٌ وَلَا كَثِيرٌ He says that you would have seen us on that day, that Hind bint Utbah, the woman that came to receive revenge on behalf of her father and her brother. And her husband is Abu Sufyan. And she had come with many of the other noble women of Quraysh to motivate the army and to basically celebrate the battle, the victory that they hoped to achieve, they expected to achieve. He says, I saw that the, everybody was running from the battlefield, even those women were fleeing and running from the battlefield. And he said that while this was going on, and we were basically had pretty much dispatched the army, when the archers that the Prophet ﷺ had placed up on that hill that we talked about, and the Prophet ﷺ had given them very, very clear instructions. The narrations, we talked about this previously as well, but very quickly to kind of uh, refresh our memory, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ had specifically told uh, the archers who were on the battlefield, إِنْ رَأَيْتُمُونَا تَخْطَفُنَا الطَّيْرِ فَلَا تَبْرَحُوا If you see that we have died and birds, scavenger birds are coming and picking off from our bodies, like, you know, scavenger birds are eating our corpses, do not leave your post. Hatta urusila ilaykum until I personally call you. Wa in ra'aytumuna zaharna ala al-adwi wa awta'na hum falatabrahu hatta urusila ilaykum. And he says, or if you see us achieve such clear victory that we are trampling our enemy, we are stampeding them, we are running them over like horses. فَلَا تَبْرَحُوا You still do not leave your post. حَتَّى أُرُسِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ Until I call for you. When the mushrik army basically dispersed, and the Muslims started to chase them down, at that point in time, the archers they saw, and the narration mentions that some of them started to say, Al-Ghanima, Al-Ghanima. Al-Ghanimata, Al-Ghanimata. They started saying, let's go. Let's go grab some of their weapons, their goods, their merchandise, their animals, what's called the spoils of war. Let's go recover some material things. Let's go, let's go. Abdullah ibn Jahash, who was left in charge, he says, Ahida ilayya an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave me the responsibility that we should not leave our post. You should not go. Most of them still insisted, and it said about 40 of the 50 left. And the narration even says that. Surifat wujuhuhum. It's like their faces changed. That's so why we talked about it in the Battle of Badr as well. The Prophet karihat tanaful. The Prophet did not dislike anything as much as he disliked the distribution of spoils of war. Because it's just a test for one's sincerity and purpose. And it just 
got in the way, it clouded their judgment in that moment. We do not sit here and lament and criticize because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we'll be talking about this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared in Surah Ali Imran about the people who left their post on the day of Uhud, He said, Afallahu anhum. Afallahu anhum. God forgave them. You understand? Allah forgave them. Done. Finish, khalas. We don't discuss it any further. We don't sit here and say, if they hadn't done this, and they made that mistake, and look what they did, and their response. No, Allah forgave them. We have no right to sit here and criticize. But we do learn a lesson from the moment and the opportunity. As I mentioned previously, this is why the scholars teach us, Badr was a lesson in La ilaha illallah, Uhud was a lesson in Muhammadur Rasulullah. Because Badr taught the Sahaba that no odds, nothing matters. You're out number three to one, no worries. You're completely ill-prepared and ill-equipped, and they're armed to the teeth, no worries. You didn't come expecting battle, and they did, no worries. You have Allah on your side, La ilaha illallah. That's the only thing that matters is Allah. And Uhud was a powerful lesson in Muhammad Rasulullah. That our mandate and our responsibility is to do exactly as the Messenger instructed us. Because when we move, when we divert, when we stray from what the Prophet has told us to do, we will suffer. We lose when we stray from the instruction of the Prophet that's it's that clear and simple. The, the, the common rhetoric that oftentimes is addressed at this opportunity is, you know, sunnah. Look, there are legal definitions. There are legal definitions, fiqh definitions. Sunnah means something that is recommended. But that is not the faith-based, the theological definition of sunnah. The theological definition of the sunnah is what the Prophet ﷺ offered to us in terms of guidance. What he taught us. What he taught us. And so what he taught us is absolutely necessary. And inexpendable. And vital. To our, not only just, uh, not only to our survival, but it's vital to our success. And so they left the post. No sooner did they leave the post, but Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not Muslim yet. He comes around the back with about two or three hundred cavalrymen riding horses. And they see that the post is empty now. There's only ten archers there. They easily are able to overrun those ten archers. And some narrations mention, if not all of them, most of those, those ten that remained on their post were shaheed, were martyred. And they, they basically came from behind the Muslim army. And they started to uh, basically, you know, cause a lot of disruption and confusion throughout the ranks of the Muslim army. Now, remember we talked about that on the front end of the army, the mushrikun basically are turning their backs and they're running. They're running for their lives. So at this particular time, the, some noise is being made, and the Quraysh that were running originally, they turn back around, and they see that our forces have made their way behind the Muslim army, and they're basically causing a lot of disruption to them. So then some of the narrations mentioned that the Muslims have basically been able to take out um, every single person that was holding the flag of the Quraysh. Some narrations mentioned 10 individuals that held the flag of the Quraysh, one after another, Muslims took them out. So the flag was lying on the ground. The army had been defeated. So at this particular time, one of the women of Quraysh, Amra bint Alqama al-Harithiyah, she picks up the flag of the Quraysh, 
And she holds it up. And now the Quraysh army basically starts to kind of turn back around and starts to rally around this flag. So now the army that was running is starting to basically turn back around and start to come at them from the front. And the Muslims have been now sandwiched in the middle. And now that this is basically happening, the Muslims now are trapped from both sides. And this is where a lot of difficulty and a lot of adversity basically befell the Muslims. Now, we talked about some of the things that had already happened, like Musa bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu being shaheed, that leading to the rumor that the Prophet ﷺ had been killed. Um, and, you know, other sahaba like Hanzala radiallahu anhu, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, all these sahaba are now falling. At this particular time as well, there's another very interesting little exchange that takes place. When the rumor starts to spread, that the Prophet ﷺ has been killed. When that man claims, قَتَلْتُ Muhammad, And now at this time, قَتَلْتُ uh, Muhammadan. Now at this time the rumor starts to spread, قُتِلَ Muhammadun, قُتِلَ Muhammadun. So at this time, a few things happen. Number one is, some of the Muslims, basically it's so shocking to them. It's so shocking to them, that the Prophet ﷺ, could he have really died? Ya qawm, inna Muhammad. Abu Sufyan starts going around the battlefield, starts announcing that, um, Ya qawm, inna Muhammad qad qutil. So now, some of the Muslims, because it's such a shocking moment and they're so shaken up, some of them say, inna Muhammad qad qutila, farji'u ila qawmikum, qabla an ya'tukum fayaqtulukum. So now they start telling some of them that why don't you people abandon the Muslim army? Those of you who are Meccans, go join up with your brothers on the other side. Tell them you leave this Islam, you forget this Islam, Muhammad is gone. Otherwise they're gonna kill you just like they killed Muhammad. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this now this type of talk starts to happen. And some of the hypocrites and some of the mushrikun, they start to kind of encourage the Muslims, listen, forget about it now. It's over, it's done. What are you fighting for at this point? Anas ibn Nadar says at this time, Ya Muhammad, in kana Muhammadun qad qutil? If it's true that Muhammad has been killed, فَإِنَّ رَبَّ مُحَمَّدٍ لَمْ يُقْتَلْ but the Lord of Muhammad, the Master of Muhammad, Allah, He has not been killed. Muhammad. Fight for the cause that Muhammad fought for. Allahumma inni a'tadhiru ilayka mimma yaqulu ha'ula. ha'ula. And he's standing there in the battlefield and some of the Muslims that are like, kind of shaky right now, he says, Oh Allah, I ask you to excuse me that I have nothing to do with the people that are saying that they want to abandon Islam. And oh Allah, I have nothing to do with these people who have brought, basically pointing at the Quraysh, who have attacked Islam. I am not with the people who are willing to abandon Islam, nor am I with the people who are attacking Islam. And he says at that time he draws his sword, and he jumps into the enemy ranks fighting until he's shaheed, he's buried. He dies. And the Prophet ﷺ at this time, he basically approaches some of the Muslims that are now starting to congregate and kind of turn, you know, uh, raise their morale, start to encourage one another that don't lose hope. The Prophet ﷺ comes and he basically comes upon them. They're so freaked out that they see a man kind of approaching towards him, so they turn, one of them draws his arrow, and the Prophet ﷺ says, أَنَّ رَسُولُ I am the messenger of God. And they're shocked to see the Prophet ﷺ. They're very happy, of course, relieved that the Prophet ﷺ is still alive. And the Prophet ﷺ then rallies them there. And at that point in time, the Prophet ﷺ says, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلٌ 
that the Prophet ﷺ tells them that Muhammad is nothing. He recites the ayah of the Qur'an from Surah Ali Imran, that Muhammad is nothing but a messenger. And many messengers came before him. If Muhammad was to die, or he was to be killed, would you turn back on your heels? Would you abandon Islam? Whoever abandons Islam does not harm Allah in the least bit. Very soon Allah will reward those people who are grateful and mindful and dutiful. And so He re-emphasizes and encourages everyone. And so now basically the Muslims, they start to kind of rally behind the Prophet ﷺ and they continue to fight. At this point in time, because the rumor that had earlier been spread, that Muhammad has been killed, Muhammad has been killed. Now at this time, Abu Sufyan, he's going around the battlefield, trying to confirm whether or not the Prophet ﷺ has been killed or not. And so he goes around saying, Aina ibn Abi Kab- in Aina ibn Abi Kabasha. Aina ibn Abi Kabsha. Where is the son of Abu Kabsha? What that means? What does it mean to be the son of Abu Kabsha? Abu Kabsha was a man amongst the Quraysh before the Prophet ﷺ who had opposed the worship of idols. He had opposed Quraysh's worship of idols. And this had led to a lot of conflicts between them. And so when the Prophet ﷺ came with his message and his da'wah, they used to call the Prophet ﷺ that you sound like the son of Abu Kabsha. There was a man before you who didn't like our idols, his name was Abu Kabsha. You sound like his son, meaning you talk like him. So it's, it's, he's being disrespectful. He's saying, Aina ibn Abi Kabsha. Where is the son of Abu Kabsha? Aina ibn Abi Quhafa. Where is the son of Abu Quhafa? That's Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr radiallahu's father's name is Abu Quhafa. Aina ibn al-Khattab. Where is the son of Khattab? And some of the narrations mention that he would say it three times. Aina ibn Abi Kabsha. Aina ibn Abi Kabsha. Aina ibn Abi Kabsha. And the Prophet ﷺ was with Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anuma. And it's such a disrespectful way to speak to the Prophet ﷺ that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu started to get very angry. And the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تجيبوه, لا تجيبوه, لا. Don't respond to him. Don't respond to him. And then he started to say, Aina ibn Abi Quhafa. And the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تجيبوه. Do not respond to him. And then he said, Aina ibn al-Khattab. Where is the son of Khattab? And the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تجيبوه. Do not respond to him. Some of the narrations mentioned that finally Umar anhu just could not contain himself anymore. And he says that, إِنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ إِنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ لَمْ يُقْتَلُوا That these people that you are asking about, they don't want to respond to you but they have not been killed. These people are still alive. He then, Abu Sufyan, goes on to say that when he heard Umar radiallahu ta'ala respond to him, then he started uh, taunting, basically, uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, um, and he started to taunt the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so he started to say, U'lu Hubal, U'lu Hubal. Hubal was one of the names of their idols that they used to worship in the times of Jahiliyyah. So he started to taunt them by saying that, look, Hubal has one, Hubal has one. Our idol has one, our idol has one. The Prophet ﷺ at that time told Umar radiallahu ta'ala, Ajibuhu, now respond to him. Now respond to him. And so Umar radiallahu ta'ala says, Ma naqulu, what should I say? What should we say? We don't know what to respond with. So he says, "Qulu Allahu a'la wa ajal." Say Allah is higher, and Allah subhanahu wa taala is greater. Allah is more exalted, and Allah is more powerful. That's how you respond to Him. Then he responds. Abu Sufyan says, "Lana al-Uzza wa la Uzza lakum." We have the God of Uzza, the idol of Uzza, and you don't have Uzza. 
Then again the Prophet ﷺ says, Ajibuhu, respond to him. So they say, Mana qulu, what should we say? He said, Qulu, tell, tell him, Allahu mawlana wa la mawla lakum. Allah is our caretaker, you have no caretaker. And Abu Sufyan then responds again by saying, Yawmun bi yawmi badr. Yawmun bi yawmi badr. Today is our vengeance, it's our redemption, our retaliation for the day of Badr. Walharbu sijal. War turns between people. وَتَجِدُونَ مُثْلَةً لَمْ أَمُرْ بِهَا وَلَمْ تَسُؤْنِي Very interesting. And he says that, تَجِدُونَ فِي قَتْلَاكُمْ مُثْلَةً Another narration, Umar رضي الله تعالى عنه says, قَتْلَانَا فِي الْجَنَّةَ وَقَتْلَاكُمْ فِي النَّارِ Those who have died from amongst us will go to paradise. And those who have died amongst you will go to hell. And at that time, Abu Sufyan says, تَجِدُونَ فِي قَتْلَاكُمْ مُثْلَةً you will find that many of your dead have been mutilated. You will find, when you survey the damage afterwards, you will find that many of your dead have been mutilated. But he says, Lam amur biha. For the record, I did not tell my people to mutilate your dead. That's not how I roll. I did not tell my people to mutilate your dead. But I didn't mind either. It's war. All's fair in love and war, right? So he says, it's war. So I didn't tell them to do it. But I didn't stop them from doing it either. I'm just giving you a heads up. Since you want to talk, you need to go and look after your dead. Because you'll find them to be mutilated. Really, really harsh day. So at this point in time, it clarifies the fact through this conversation, through this exchange, that the Prophet of Allah wasallam is still alive. Now what ends up happening is quite tragic. That once they realize that the Prophet ﷺ is still alive, and the Prophet ﷺ starts motivating the believers, he says, Allahumma innahu laysa lahum an ya'luna. He said, these people cannot defeat us here today. Oh Allah, these people cannot defeat us here today. And the, the Prophet ﷺ started encouraging the believers to fight back. Don't take this line down. That at that point in time, the narrations mention that it mentions three individuals. Three individuals. Number one, Utbah bin Abi Waqas. Utbah bin Abi Waqas, he threw a rock at the Prophet ﷺ, which knocked out two of his teeth. And it also, the narrations mention that it also split his lip. It cut his lip really badly. Abdullah ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. Abdullah ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. He struck the Prophet ﷺ on the forehead, and the Prophet ﷺ started bleeding from his forehead. The third one was Abdullah ibn Qami'ah. Now if you remember, Abdullah ibn Qami'ah was the same one who had killed Musa ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And spread the rumor about killing the Prophet ﷺ. He came, and what he did was, the Prophet ﷺ was wearing a helmet. And the helmet of the Prophet ﷺ was made out of like iron, it was, it was really strong. And the way that it came was that it would come down to like right here. So it would come down to like about right here, to kind of guard his face. And he came and he struck the Prophet ﷺ on top of the head so hard that the edges of the helmet buried inside of his cheeks. Basically, it went into his cheeks. To the point where they had to rip it out of the face of the Prophet ﷺ. Some narrations mentioned that when he struck him on the head and it went into his cheek, the Prophet ﷺ stumbled backwards and he fell into a ditch. Where did this ditch come from? Remember that man Abu Amir, that the, the, or the, the, the Arabs used to call him Al-Rahib, but the Prophet said actually he's Al-Fasiq, he's an evil man. He had actually come there before the Battle of Uhud started, and he had dug all these ditches, hoping that people would fall in them. Alright, and so the Prophet stumbled backwards, and he fell into one of these ditches. At that point in time, Talha ibn Ubaidullah, and... 
Um, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'alaanu, they grabbed the Prophet by the hands, they lifted him up out of the ditch, they ripped the helmet out from his face. Malik ibn Sinan, um, Malik ibn Sinan, who was the father of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'alaanu, he was there, and some narrations say he's the one who actually ripped the helmet out of the face of the Prophet ﷺ. And when the blood started to come, he started wiping the blood off of the face of the Prophet ﷺ, and he had it on his hands. And this might seem somewhat detestable to some, not understanding exactly who the Messenger ﷺ is. But basically what he did was he had so much blood of the Prophet ﷺ on his hands, that he basically licked some of the blood. And the Prophet ﷺ commented at that time, مَنْ مَسَّ دَمُهُ دَمِ that whosoever blood has become, whoever's blood has become mixed with my blood, the fire can no longer touch that person. The fire of hell is haram on that person now. So at this point in time, the Prophet ﷺ is so, you know, uh, bleeding profusely. Some narrations say that he actually passed out from the loss of blood. And it was all in his face that he actually passed out. And the Prophet ﷺ came too. And he was wiping the blood away from his face. And they were trying to get the blood out of his face. That the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the narration say about 11 individuals. Some narrations say 13 individuals. Um, mostly Ansar and a couple of the Muhajirun like Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Um, they grabbed the Prophet ﷺ, and again, if you look at the scene where Uhud took place, then the battle of, the, the mountain of Uhud was to their back. And out in front of the mountain of Uhud is the little hill of the archers. And if you go there today, the burial, the, the graveyard where the shuhada of Uhud are, are out in front of there as well. So from there, the side of the mountain of Uhud that you see, that's the front side, that was to the back of the Muslims. But now when all of this happened, and now the Prophet ﷺ has been so severely injured, and now the mushrikun are basically saying, now's our chance to really actually kill him. And they're coming at him. So these 13 sahaba, they basically grab the Prophet ﷺ, they run up the mountain with the Prophet ﷺ. There's a little bit of a mountain pass that you can see there. And they go through that mountain pass to the back side of the mountain. And on the back side of the mountain, they come out on that back side, they go up a little bit, and there's a little bit of a cave, almost like a crevice, a shik. Right? So there's a little bit of like a crevice or a small little opening inside of the mountain. They go there, they basically go up there, and they sit the Prophet ﷺ down inside of that crevice. And from that crevice where it is, it's basically very steep from there. It's all just kind of coming down. They fan out and they spread out there defending the Prophet ﷺ. And as one after another, as people keep trying to come at the Prophet ﷺ, they, still, they, they just stand their ground repelling them. And what's a really fascinating incident or story that takes place at this time, is as they keep coming closer and closer to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ says that, you know, um, the Prophet ﷺ says, Can somebody remove these people from here? So Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I, ana ya Rasulullah, I'll take care of it. And the Prophet says, Kama anta ya Talha. You stay as you are, O Talha. So he stays, because the Prophet says, You have to stay with me. And one of the Ansar goes and he starts fighting all of them, like disperses a whole group of people single handedly until he's finally killed. Then they start advancing and start coming towards the Prophet again and says, Allah ahadun liha ula. Allah rajulun liha ula. Is there any man who can take care of these people? And again, Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Ana ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet says, Kama anta ya Talha. Stay where you are, Talha. And another Ansari goes and he fights them and he repels them. Again, a group of people starts coming. And again, the Prophet says, Who will take care of them? And one after another after another, about um, 11 of these Ansar basically die one after another. Until finally only Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu remains. And Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes and he starts fighting them. 
single-handedly. And it's actually said that like, um, the tips of his fingers were cut off. While he was fighting, and he was holding the sword, somebody struck the sword right where his hand was, and it cut off the tips of his fingers. And he held on to the sword. And the narration says he made a sound, Has! Like he just kind of made like a cringing sound because he felt the pain of that. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says to him at that time, لو قلت بسم الله Because he kind of like said, it wasn't a bad word or a curse word, but he just kind of said like, man. Right? He kind of like let out a sound that was just kind of means like something like, oh man. And the Prophet ﷺ said, لو قلت بسم الله أو ذكرت اسم الله if you would have said Bismillah or said the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَرَفَعَتْكَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالنَّاسُ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ حَتَّى تَلِجَ بِكَ فِي جَوِّ السَّمَاءِ And he says that if you would have said Bismillah at that moment or said the name of Allah, angels would have come and lifted you up to the middle of the, up to the sky and people would have been looking at you just flying in the sky over them. So even in that moment, the Prophet ﷺ is still giving him advice. Um, and Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu, it actually is also mentioned that defending the Prophet ﷺ, eventually he got to a point where he just threw his body in front of the Prophet ﷺ, particularly his one arm, and he received so many injuries and wounds on one arm, that basically he, he lost the use of his arm, it became paralyzed. That he didn't have the use of his arm anymore, anymore after that day forward. At that point in time, one of the people who was also defending the Prophet ﷺ was Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas, and the narration says that he was there standing in front of the Prophet ﷺ. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas was a great archer. So he stood in front of the Prophet ﷺ just basically shooting down people. As they were coming at the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ started picking up arrows off the ground, giving them to Sa'ad to shoot, saying that, Irmi fidaka abi wa ummi. Irmi fidaka abi wa ummi. He said, shoot the arrows, may my mother and father be sacrificed for you. And that was something people used to say to the Prophet ﷺ a lot. But Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala says, ma sami'atu in a hadith of Bukhari, he says, ma sami'atu nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, jama'a abawayhi li ahadin illa li Sa'ad bin Malik. Or li Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas. فَإِنِّي سَمِعَتُهُ يَقُولُ يَوْمَ أُحُدْ يَا سَعَدْ إِرْمِي فِدَاكَ أَبِي وَأُمِّي That is the only time the Prophet ﷺ ever said that to anybody was to Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas used to brag about this. And he used to tell this story. You know what the Prophet ﷺ said to me? He said, فِدَاكَ أَبِي وَأُمِّي to me. And so Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas was defending the Prophet ﷺ as well. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala himself, he says, eventually when things just got so out of hand, that even we all started getting overwhelmed, and even we felt like we couldn't protect the Prophet anymore, he said, I turned around, this is a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, he says, I turned around, and I saw two men standing on either side of the Prophet fighting on either side of him, defending him, and they were both wearing white clothes, one was Jibreel and the other was Mikail. That eventually Jibreel and Mikail السلام, came into the battlefield and started defending the Prophet And when uh, another narration also mentions about Abu Talha, who was an Ansari, that he was also shooting arrows. He jumped in front of the Prophet and started shooting arrows. And the Prophet was encouraging him and the Prophet ﷺ would start to try to come around him, see what was going on. And he, every time he would see the Prophet ﷺ looking, he would say, Hakada bi abi wa ummi ya Rasulullah. That he would basically tell the Prophet ﷺ, like he would move in front of the Prophet ﷺ and he'd say, Stay behind me. Nahriduna nahrik. Nahriduna nahrik. Let me stand in front of you. Let me be the one who is hit with something if somebody tries to strike you or hit you. So in this way, they started defending the Prophet of Allah The The very interesting and fascinating thing that I wanted to share, um, and I'll end with this and then we'll continue from here um, in the next session inshaAllah. But, oh, in Talha radiallahu ta'ala who was defending the Prophet he basically says, the Prophet said to him, Awjaba Talha. Awjaba Talha. That today, Jannah has become wajib on Talha. 
Because of how we defended the Prophet ﷺ. One of the other very cool stories I was sharing with uh, one of the brothers was Zubayr ibn al-Awam radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There's a really fascinating narration about him that basically says that when the battle started, there was this one man um, riding a horse basically, again striking down Muslims left and right that he was riding through. And he was coming running full speed, Riding a horse, when Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu saw him, Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was standing on the ground. From where he was standing, he basically jumped and landed on the man's horse as the guy was riding by. He landed on his horse and then threw him off from the horse and then jumped down from the horse and they basically finished him. Right? So these were remarkable people. And there, there's just so many remarkable events and feats on their part. But the thing I wanted to share, and I'll conclude here because it's basically time for Salat al-Isha, is that the Prophet ﷺ, they placed him inside of that little crevice, that little cave. And they basically defended from there. Eventually after they defended him for long enough, the Quraysh eventually turned around and started to leave the battlefield. And that's basically um, where we'll pick up from. They started to leave the battlefield. Eventually the Prophet ﷺ, once they had left, the Sahaba came and got the Prophet ﷺ and he came down from there from the mountain. And then they prayed Salat al-Asr, it was time for Asr. They prayed Asr there at the foot of the mountain. Alhamdulillah, when we went for Umrah a few weeks ago, so I had the opportunity uh, to be able to go and visit that little cave, that little crevice, uh, that opening in the mountain where they sat the Prophet ﷺ in while he was bleeding and from where they defended. The Prophet ﷺ. And it's remarkable to just be there. And to just be able to see it and actually envision and see how they must have defended the Prophet ﷺ. And then when they came down from the mountain and where they prayed Salat al-Asr, Umar bin Abdul Aziz ta'ala actually had a masjid built there. Just kind of some of the remnants or the ruins of that masjid remain there today. But nevertheless, um, a masjid was built there. Um, and so that place is still present even till today where people can actually go and see the history and study the history. And then we'll talk about as well the dua of the Prophet ﷺ and some of the comments that he made as the Prophet ﷺ suffered at the hands of these mushrikun and the Quraysh. So we'll go ahead and end and conclude here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfirka wa natubu ilayk.